Welcome to episode 8 of the Weenie Crew podcast. I am your host, Scott Howarth. So, we are two months into the podcast now, and we've had new guests every week for you. This week is no exception. Ben Hammond, as you've seen on the podcast title, is our guest. Ben is a live sound engineer with ties to manufacturer Alan and Heath, especially on their DLive range of consoles. The chat is centred around everything audio and Ben's experiences, so get ready ready for some back-of-the-bus sound talk. But what's been going on with We Need Crew? So if you listen to the podcast before, you'll know We Need Crew have raffles via their website. Just head over to weneedcrew.co.uk to view the raffles. There's a Niall Horan one with signed t-shirts and drum heads from his live stream show at the Royal Albert Hall. This finishes at midnight on the 30th of November, so there is only a couple of days left for you to jump in on that raffle. Also, the last episode we did was with Becky Pell. She's not only just a monitor engineer, she is a registered yoga therapist too. On the episode, Becky kindly told us that all touring crew may partake in her weekly bedtime yoga sessions for free, which is such a thoughtful and kind thing for her to do. If you do fancy that, she holds these Zoom sessions on Wednesdays and Sundays at 8.30pm UK time. Just head over to her website, which is rockandrollyogi.com and hit contact, drop her a message with Weenie Crew Yoga in the title and she will get you sorted. Another thing Becky has done though is she shared a blog piece for Weenie Crew. It's called System Addict and it's about why touring is an exercise in mindfulness and how to get your fix when you're not on the road. You can find that piece on the Weenie Crew website homepage. And finally, if you've not been getting our email newsletters, you can subscribe to them in the same place as that blog. So you don't miss any progress or new things that Weenie Crew has to offer. And speaking of subscriptions, give this podcast a little subscribe on your fave podcast platform. Right, let's get into this chat with Big Ben. Welcome to the Weenie Crew podcast and today we're here in a building just outside of York. This place houses quite a few businesses and it's actually all run by the same man. Our guest today is a live touring sound engineer, he's a studio engineer, he's a production space owner and a PA hire house. Today our guest is Ben Hammond, welcome to the Weenie Crew podcast. Master of absolutely none, but <laughs> trying to survive. So. <laughs> Man of many things, master of none. You yeah. can't say that about yourself. Ben Hammond, pretty good at treading water, <laughs> I think, is uh, would be the, the, the shortened version of that. So, Ben, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, pal. Uh, so, I'm a predominantly a front-of-house engineer from York in the UK, born and bred. Um, I'm on I, the wrong side of the wall here. Well, you know, being from Lancashire, we'll not mention that. you're at the other side of the table, so we'll, we'll keep that for now. <laughs> um, I got into all just through playing in bands, really. Um, when I was, God, I don't know, about 16, we were kind of in and out of recording studios, and I started kind of being more interested in learning how to do that. I think it all came from no one could make my drums sound like a Rage Against Machine record, so I just got yep. an illegal copy of Cubase and stuck it on my mum's computer and kind of tried to learn to do it myself. So you um, you were a drummer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then my, same. My, um, well, I suppose we are all right then, but my, my band, we, we signed a deal and we we went to, kind of we left school, uh, I think we were in college at the time, and we went to um, Hawkwind Studio in Wales for a few weeks and made a record with a guy who's no longer with us, who was a, actually a really big influence on my career, a guy called Chris Sangaridis, and he was a okay. producer for Painkiller by Judas Priest. Oh, right, okay. loads of the... I think he did a lot of like Sabbath stuff, loads of Aussie stuff. Um, just like just the small albums then. Oh, he made some massive, yeah. massive records, and I got to sit with him for weeks, kind of. And I think while the rest of everybody in the band was, oh my god, we're going to be famous, this is it. Mm-hmm. I in those kind of three to four weeks just completely fell out of love with the idea of being in the band and realised that actually 
I'm not just learning to be a sound and learning to do sound to benefit my band. Actually, I want to be a sound engineer. Right, that's what I came out of the studio with the record and the record deal and all that, and wasn't interested in it anymore. And right. kind of so, so yeah. So then, just kind of, I, I worked in a lot of local studios. Um, this is from sixteen. Yeah, no. yeah. I've I've never had a proper job in my life. Yeah, I've only ever sat behind mixing desks. I saw I saw bananas. I worked in, no, well, I worked in a banana factory. That's my proper job. Yeah, well, you see, right now you're more experienced than me. You know, <laughs> I think so, I know, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, so I, that, that's kind of all I've ever really done. Um, and you know, I had a lucky break. You know, Shed Seven obviously banned from York, and they had a studio. Um, and so I, I started working as a, a as just a, a tea boy in there, and kind of started doing my own sessions, and um, then kind of. Ended up working in um, a studio outside of Leeds called the Chairworks, which is great big old mill. We've got a big SSL console, Neve console in there, and um, residential studio. And I, I worked there for for quite a few years, and pretty much just lived there. Um, so your experience in in the live touring all started in studio. A hundred percent. I had no idea. I had, no, I didn't want to be a live sound engineer. Right. Uh, the thought still of, don't. The th- yeah. <laughs> the, the the thought of wrestling with all the stuff we have to wrestle with every day absolutely just repulsed me i was the guy who wanted to walk around in his socks and spend a week on a snare drum reverb that was my i I was really really lucky we we had a studio so i worked at that studio and there was myself a guy called simon humphreys who did the first clash record Mm -hmm. um and he worked with steve levine out of cbs in the 70s and 80s and he did like all the big culture club he did karma chameleon all that he's worked with the beach boys all kinds of people so i got to spend a lot of time with him um and then a guy called rich lacy as well and we used to we used to mix we, we we used to get sent tons of kind of corporate events and like religious events and things to mix so it was like this most insane gospel band mm-hmm. so you'd spend a week mixing this great gospel band and then at the end you'd open up all the audience mics it'd be like manchester me and arena or something and like the whole crowd are, are the are the congregation of the choir yeah, yeah. So you get this amazing mix, and then at the end of the week, you'd open up like 35 condenser microphones oh that, that just wrecked it, but then you just pressed export and sent it. And, and we did those for ages, so we'd, so I was so lucky. I, I basically, for, for years on end, really, just sat in a studio with an SSL and a disgusting amount of outboard gear and just mixed records on my own. I wow. just had unlimited time to just, you know, spent... Uh, like I say, kind of you kind of you kind of had all the gear and didn't have to learn. I I learned uh, my trade on a Tascam DM one. That's how I learned to be a yeah. sound engineer properly. But like, well, yeah. every studio in York, every studio in York had a Soundcraft Ghost. Right. I worked in like multiple different studios in York, and they all had Cubase and Soundcraft Ghost. And then we went to the Chairworks, and it was Pro Tools and an SSLG Plus, <laughs> and we had no plugins. Yeah. The guy who owned the studio didn't. He liked gear, so he didn't want to spend money on plugins. So sure. we had auto tune, and that was it. Right. So we used the ultimation, the moving fader automation on the SSL. And when we did like mix downs, it was every member of the band, right? You grab that, you do that, you do that. And we had the big counter window up on Pro Tools. And when it gets to three minutes and thirty three seconds, or bar forty nine beat three, you press that button. Mm-hmm. And we've got every you know, and that's never changed into the live side of things but the the live thing i kind of fell into it in a few ways that band from york called glamour of the kill mm, yeah who were doing all right and they're just done like main stage at download festival and so i started touring with those guys and looking after those guys literally working for pds yeah of course you know, yeah. we, we were broke it, you know it was it was 10 of us in a travelodge room doing cool. the whole one person to check in <laughs> we'd lie and say that one of the parties disabled so we need a, a room on the ground floor and then get a screwdriver and undo, undo the little chain on the window so you can open it all the way and then we'd all pile in and yeah. seven eight nine ten of us sleeping in a travelodge room you know I'd, that was I'd, luxury as well well that was it you yeah, know yeah. it was better than us all sleeping in the van which also happened you know so did that and then a really weird one a mate of mine who played in a, a really heavy metal band um, won a competition in Metal Hammer to open up for Slayer. Oh, right, okay. So one of the first gigs I ever mixed was uh, opening for Slayer at Manchester Apollo. Amazing. And it was completely empty, and I'm pretty positive, if you listen back to it now, it would have been the worst sounding gig that's ever happened in the history of music. But at the time, <laughs> I'd never seen a digital desk before. Yeah. That's the weird thing about me. I'm 35. I've been touring for about 12 years now, but I didn't... I. I'm very much rooted in digital and so many people my age would sorry in analog and so many people my age were digital I hated digital when we started touring yeah because I've come from an SSL <laughs> I came well, from patching gear and it's kind of mental yeah but not from not from a sonic perspective like a snobbery kind of thing it was just I was used to an analog desk yeah so I was the one who was super happy when you got an MH3 yeah or an MH4 I was like this is going to be great 
and I'd get a profile put in front of me and be like, oh, God. Man. And I really had to struggle like to re-educate myself, and a lot of people my age didn't do that, which is the weird thing. Well, I, I definitely learned digital at the same time. Even though it was a, a, t- a DM1, what I, what I kind of worked on, mm. you know, I worked on other crappy desks at the same time, but like even when I was touring, started touring, it was all MH3s or Midas HHs yeah. or anything like that. It was all that. So when it turned into Avid, it was it was a bit of a change, man. Yeah, I mean, that was when I was at home, I, you know, and, and then I think really it was... You know, I, I was doing the blackout. So I mean, I, I so we were doing that, and then I bumped into a friend of mine, a, a guy called Matt Rousel, who used to manage a band called We Are the Ocean. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea he was doing that. And he was in the year below me at school in York, and nothing happens in York. Yeah. And we were doing Download Festival with Glamour of the Kill. I think we were like the on like the third stage or something. And I bumped into Matt backstage and was like, "What the hell are you doing here?" I was like, "What the hell are you doing here?" So like, oh, well, I'm mixing these guys. I'm I'm mixing. I'm doing their sound. He's like, "Oh, I manage these guys." I said, like, all right, give me the job. Yeah. And then the next week we were out, you know, a couple of weeks later we went out with We Are The Ocean. Uh, I think we were supporting The Used. And and then we did, you know, we're doing the kind of like, it was that thing when you first start touring and you work for four or five bands at that level and you're just constantly doing academy supports and yeah. you're constantly doing that. Yeah. Um, and then I got, um, I still don't really know how, and I got the shout to the blackout mm-hmm. out of nowhere and then that turned into... All of a sudden, we were doing main stage leads and Reading. We were in arena supporting Blink One Eight Two. We did the Black Parade, My Chemical Romance tour, and all of a sudden, I was mixing in Wembley and yep. that. And then we were on tour buses, and all of a sudden, it got real. And the money actually went up from being something that you could never live on. But I'm going on tour. You come home from tour with no money because you've drunk it all, and yep. it was just whatever, you know. Well, you all of a sudden, to, it was a job. You started to establish your contacts right there, didn't you? And especially not just with bands. You started to establish contacts with companies and stuff like that. Because I think that's when I first really heard of you was, I think you were using like a 6100 or something. Yeah, that was literally the first one we did. I, yeah. I, <laughs> the Blackout owned loads of SM58s. I didn't like how the 58 sounded with his vocal, but he used it because he could smash it. And I'd had loads of people... Loads of mates of mine saying, oh, you need to check these Audio-Technica 6100s out. They're great, they're great, they're great. And just me just being a, a, a cheeky little shitbag, I just called <laughs> on Alan and Ethan, uh, Audio-Technica Direct and was like, yeah. we've just confirmed Leeds, Leeds and Red in main stage. I want to buy some vocal mics. Could you cut me a deal? Um, and they're only in Leeds. So I went over and I met Tom Harold, who um, uh, who became one of my closest friends in the world. You know, I was literally on the phone to him yesterday. He's, mm-hmm. he's one of the market managers for D&B now. Yeah. Um, uh, but Tom's a, an absolute dear friend of mine. He's actually who I started the studio with. Oh, right. Okay. My very first start of the studio. It was me and Tom started it together. Oh, didn't know that. Um, and he was amazing. He just kind of, I don't think Audio Technica were really working with any kind of engineers to that, and, and they wanted their mics in that kind of circuit, in the touring circuit, and they were very much more kind of a, a studio kind of corporate um and they just I think they saw the bands I was working with and saw it could be of use to them but at the same time it wasn't that kind of soulless way it was they really wanted to help me and well, this is just going back to it this is this is really when you've only kind of just started getting into touring as well really it's your yeah. first the first band and like I said yeah, you started I'd, making those connections there I've been with Audio Technica nearly 10 years so I've done yeah. touring a couple of years yeah. um, and they just really 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 took me under their wing and like and they got me in all the magazines and they got and, and that you know and it was great because it, it does we are a business mm-hmm. and it's not you know there's people out there who'll take the piss out of you and be like oh you, you're, you're a half that I'm not I'm my business mm-hmm. if I was Tesco or if I was KFC or if I was whatever you spend money on advertising I'm a sound engineer I need I there's there's me that's it well, you have to, it you goes have to. no bigger than me so if if a company's going to help me and put me in adverts and tell people that I'm mixing these bands and I'm doing this then amazing you know and, and, and I, I did a lot of stuff with them like we did a lot of you know we, we did a lot of work together on things and you know they'd have some new microphone and we need to and you know and, and it was never again you get all the people oh you want to use them because you get it for free it's like well one, I don't, you know, you don't get them for free, and two, you know, even if even if you did, what's the point in using a load of microphones that are shit? All right, they're free, but my mix sounds crap, so I don't get any work. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, fully, fully with you. Fully, fully, fully yeah. with you. Regardless yeah. of the deal, whatever it may be, you will only use it because it's right. You know, but yep. you know, but yeah, I've been with Audio Technica for like ten years, and as I say, Tom's now with DMB, but Ed, who's a who's at Audio Technica now, mm-hmm. um, you know, everybody there is is amazing you know and 
and and that linked on to the whole Allen Heath connection because they start distributing Allen Heath. Yeah, which we'll get into a, into a little bit because yeah, that's yeah. you know it's there's just so, there's so much to talk about. There's yeah, literally yeah. So, so much to talk about. But you've so yeah, that all came from there. But but you've uh, yeah. So you, it's it's amazing that you started with with the best some of the best gear in the industry, and then you went into floor sleeping with maybe not the best gear in the industry, and then yeah. and then all of a sudden establishing connections with decent companies and finding decent things like that and. Uh, it's, it's super interesting that you came in through it through a studio side because it's kind of come a bit full circle now, hasn't it? I'm sat I'm sat in the control room right now in a real recording studio with an SSL right behind me. And Eve. And sorry, and Eve. <laughs> yeah, sorry, not an SSL. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of come full circle a little bit with it all, haven't you? I, so well, I'll ask you the question actually. I say, so you know, what what branches of audio and everything are you are you got your fingers in right now? Everything. <laughs> but that's it's 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 a. It's an effort that I've always made and I've pissed off a lot of higher companies on the way because I always own my own gear. Mm-hmm. So you would have, you know, the, the friendly sales guys who always tried to get, you know, but, well, well, you know, the the, the way I've always looked at it, right, when, when we started touring, you had to buy a Midas Heritage and a ton of outboard gear. And if you wanted to record a show, a record truck turned up and two other three people turned, you know, turned up with that. And the monitor rig was just as big, and you toured wedges, and you toured all this, and people were touring Academy Ones with you know the first time I did an Academy One tour I was supporting Billy Talent, and we toured PA for the tour. Right, that doesn't happen anymore. No, and there's people out there mixing. You know, like you can do a tour now, and there's four or five bands on the tour, and there's one monitor guy. It's mm-hmm. crap. Yeah. I, I'm not saying I, I like it, but technology's become cheaper. Yep. It's become easier to get hold of. Yep. Promoters have realised that they can get another 10 seats by reducing front of house. Production managers have realised they can lose a truck. If you want to record a show, you just plug a piece of Cat5 into a laptop, and management now know that, and then all of a sudden, oh, actually, Stop seeing as all you've secrets. recorded it, can you mix it? Yeah. Oh, I need a, we need a version, we need a 30-second clip of this new single for social media. You've become, over the last, over the last 10 years... You've become the audio guy. You have. That's completely you're not true. the front of house guy anymore. You're the front of house guy. You're the recording engineer. You're the mix engineer. Broadcast, you're probably yeah, the monitor yeah. guy as well. You're the broadcast engineer. Yep. You're the guy who makes all the tracks for the band and edits those. You, you know. So for me, you don't hire a plumber to put a bath in your house and he turns up and has to borrow a spanner. Mm-hmm. I know that if I've got my gear, I know I can get my show to sound like I want it to sound. Yeah. Therefore. My business is the best it can be. Therefore, the the reputation that we trade on, i.e. how good your shows sound, I know. So I've always invested my money into gear. You know, while other mates of mine were buying houses and things like that, you know, I was 34 before I bought my house and I'd always just spent every penny I made on gear. And, you know, so you got when the when we started getting to like headlining Academy One levels and you get people sniffing around being like, hey, do you, do you want to use us? Do you want to use us? Like, no, we're all self-contained. And I know I pissed a lot of people off, but... Mm. Whatever, you, you have to adapt, you know, this whole console line system thing. It's only happened over the last five or ten years, you know. And so I've just always kind of seen it as if it, it's it's very broad brushstrokes, but an, an artist doesn't look at you and look at your exact job role and what that entails. You're the audio guy. Yeah. Oh, this is sound. Can you do this for me? I don't ever want to say no to my clients. I want to be able to say, yeah, I can. So you kind of... You kind of- accumulated a lot of equipment and that's kind of moved into the production company because yeah. it is a production company now isn't it it's, yeah, it's way more than just an I mean, audio hire company isn't it it started with the studio and i i mixed a lot of stuff for def havana um on their record that charted really well and, and i and i did it from uh i had my laptop sat on my knees in my flat in leeds and i was like this is ridiculous mm-hmm. so i went back to the chairworks where i used to work at because it was in a great big old mill I was like, have you got any space going? He was like, oh, yeah, we've got this little little basement we we're going to put into studio. So I hired that with right. Tom Harold from, from right. AT at the time. Mm-hmm. And we, we bought a few bits of gear and we set up a little studio together. Um, and the studio started growing. And, you know, it, it, it was never really a commercial studio. We used it for our projects and I used it, to again, to, to help me with what I was doing. Um, and then Tom left AT and got the job down with D&B and moved down to Bristol. So I bought him out of the studio and then we moved the studio to York and it got a little bit bigger, but still kind of, you know, a small kind of project studio. You're also doing it in between the big, to- in between yeah, the touring. So. Yeah. And then, you know, and then we've kind of moved that to where, to where we are now, but I had the luxury of putting it in here because of the rock tech side of things, which that came about with a very dear friend of mine, you know, one of my closest friends of the world, a guy called Luke Bell. Um, and he, 
he works with he's a um production manager production coordinator production assistant all that all that kind of stuff tour manager um but he he's currently out with red or chili peppers and florence and machine okay um but me and luke work together on everything mm-hmm. yeah i've definitely seen your your two names attached uh, to stuff i think it was like was it heaven's basement or something like that it went back it went back a while ago well, i met luke because he was he was doing the support man with the blackout and he got me onto skin dread and then we did skin dread duff mckagan Skid right, Row, okay. ugly kid joe drowning pool uh, Fozzy, all, all, all kinds of stuff, and and there was a crew: Sam Phillips, drum tech, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Welsh boy, yeah, um, and a guy called Solge, who's a guitar tech. Who's yeah, I know so. With, uh, <laughs> I know so. Yeah, first tour I ever did with Solge as a guitar tech. <laughs> um, but me, Luke, Sam, and Solge, we literally just finished one tour and went on to the next one, and then went to the next one, went to, and it was unbelievable for like five, six years. We just toured as a crew, and mm-hmm. it was like some of the happiest times we've ever had. And we, the first time I did everything pretty much was with them. The first time we did America, the first time we did Australia, the first time we did these big festivals, the first time we headlined these. It was, you know, it, it was great. But so, and, you know, and over, over a lot of years, Luke, you know, Luke's um, a, a dear friend of mine. And we sat down and kind of said, what do we want to do when we don't want to tour anymore? Yeah. And we started thinking, well, you know, York's a very arty city. There's, a, you know, it's a tourist-based city. There's loads of events, and there, there wasn't there wasn't really a PA company here. There wasn't anybody doing it properly. So, okay. through hiring some gear from from Phil, who owned Rock Tech Projects, um, we we got together and 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 it, the chat kind of then moved to well, if me, Luke, and Phil go together, mm. and then we will start Rock Tech Events, which is the events arm of that, um, and yeah, and we we it. What was supposed to just be a little PA company, the first thing we did was the Dombroco Arena Tour, <laughs> and we ended up in Wembley, yeah. in a sold-out Wembley. Yeah. Um, and that was, we thought, well, yeah, we can do it. We've got the gear. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had, you know, we had money to invest, and we had, so so we we basically built the company around that tour. Um, and because I was a front-of-house engineer, we built it around the exact gear I wanted to use. So it was the dream for me. Um I came down to Manchester to listen to that. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it was again with the Hill thing. Um, yeah. So so Malcolm Hill, who is who was the man behind anything audio at Live Aid, yeah, um, you know, of of Hill Audio, who any of the the older audio guys listen to this will know Malcolm. It, it, was, you know. it was paired. Was it paired with Martin Audio as well? No, no, was it not? No, it was, was it was just a separate thing? Was Malcolm, it? Um, Malcolm Hill. It, so there was basically he got Live Aid because there was at the time there was him, Claire and Martin Audio and they were it. They were the three big hire companies. That's where I'm getting it from, yeah. And he was doing ACDC and all that and basically at the time Live Aid happened he was the only company who had enough gear to do it. Right. So he did it and, you know, Malcolm then had a hugely successful career and pretty much retired um, but he was working with Rock Tech Projects and they were just doing installs with small hill systems into churches and stuff. Sure. And then the more we kind of, we became friends and we kind of, we everything started coming together and we, I started becoming involved in in. in well, why wouldn't why and, wouldn't you pair? Why well, exactly. You, pair you know, it's yeah. it's like being able to have a chat with Rupert Neve. You know what I mean? Yeah, why, just, why don't you? Yeah. So it was great for me, and then we just thought, well, sod it. Well, why don't we try it? Mm. And this PA had never been hung with more than ten of them aside anywhere. Mm. Yeah. So we hired the main room at LS Live for a day and hung twenty four aside and said, well, let's see what we can make it do. And we stuck a D Live in there. A lot of you know, a lot of and and we you know we we weren't going to use it on the tour. We were going to do the control on the tour and bring in PA. Um, you know, because I would never take a risk with one of my clients, but we spent, you know, we spent a lot of time on the PA and we did a lot of changes and we got it to actually, this really can do it. I can get what I want out of it and more. And I've got the guy who designed and built the boxes stood with me making the changes that I want. So it was, it was a really cool thing to be able to like buy the exact gear I wanted, help design the PA that's in the top. And we went out and we did the broker tour and it was amazing. So this is this is something that I'm, we're going to touch on a little bit later as well because you're developing these relationships with companies and different things and you like you just said you're why wouldn't I do this why wouldn't I do what I want to do and and pair with who I want to pair with because it's, it's it's massive and it's it's created who you are and what Rock Tech has become or what Rock Rock, Rock Tech is still becoming because it's still a relatively new company yeah yeah, yeah absolutely so with it with it being a new company. We're going to talk a little bit about COVID because we're in this situation right now in 2020 where we've kind of ground to a halt with live music. And um, you set up Rock Tech Events in yeah. early 2019, right? Yeah. So how would do this when there's no events? Well, that's it. How is, how is everything going? Like, what have you done? Adapt you, to what, survive. What have you adapted with, with Rock Tech? Because Rock Tech started out as 
with this whole PA stuff and everything, you started out as a live company for PAs, didn't you? So you've adapted quite a lot and I know you have. So tell us a little bit about RockTech and how that's diversified now. Well, I mean, with RockTech, you know, we, we sat down when we, when we, we signed on the company and we, and, and you know, and we incorporated everything and we put a target of, wouldn't it be great if we did this in our first year? We did it in six months and RockTech was going really, really well. And from the gear and the assets that we started the company with, the company's grown literally like five times. And we just originally agreed to have a small corner in the RockTech project's existing warehouse. Very quickly, we spilled out into an old RAF base near us and we hired a bunch of porter cabins yeah. and just started putting gear in there because we were, we were running out of space. And then it became very apparent that we actually, we needed to and we could actually afford to have our own place. So we took this warehouse on, we bought a van, we invested in everything we needed to invest and everything was great. And we had a stunning year lined up in front of us. You know, we, we've always kind of been, we're not trying to be the big PA company. Yep. I don't want to do that. None of us want to do that. Yep. We've always gone for, you know, I've, I've always really admired Scan and how they do their business where it's, it's, a, it's a small number of clients, but they do it really well. Sure. And yeah. it's really bespoke and, you know, and, and I, re- I really like that. So, you know, we're not by far, you know, I'm under no illusions. We're not a massive company. We're not any, you know, we're essentially doing what I was doing before, but we've put a name on it and we've started doing it properly. So we, mm-hmm. you know, we look after four or five clients. We do stuff locally. You know, we do like the, the Castle Howard stuff and some state, we've got the install at York Barbican and we look after things locally like we wanted to. But with touring stuff, we, we just look after a select number of clients and we try and do it to the best of our abilities. And, so it kind of grew to the point where, wow, actually we, we need to get this warehouse. We, we signed on the dotted line and we got the keys in February. And then this happened. Yeah. And so for a few months, it just sat as an empty warehouse. And, you know, we, because of, um, you know, the relationships we have and, and, and the gear that we have and, 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 and the way we've built the company, you know, we're, we're very lucky in this situation. We You're don't not have on anyone your own. to salary. You're also not on your own through it all. It's yeah. Not, it's not just you, is it? Yeah. But we don't have anyone to salary when we own all of our gear outright. Yeah. Wicked. So there is no payments other than rent. So we had a good year last year. So financially we're, we're okay. The music industry is going to fight. It is going to survive and it is going to adapt. So I want to be in that first wave of people I want to be there when it does adapt and so we you know we, we me and Dan were constantly chatting about how we can do the studio how we can r- borrow and raise the money to be able to do it you know we've taken everybody loan possible and done you know and in a kind of if we build it they will come yeah all right people yeah. are at home they can't do shows musicians will write music so hopefully then a recording studio would be something that people want so it was originally just the studio and then uh Russ Baldwin who's a who's who's one of one of the you know the the main guys at Rock Tech with us he he, he kind of came in and started so as soon as we were allowed to kind of be in a bubble mm. we put ourselves in a bubble and we we spent 10 weeks learning you know um, to be bricklayers brick, and electricians brick, yeah. and yeah. so where you sat at the moment we're sat in a completely empty warehouse you know we've built this literally every you know we had a really good friend of ours Biz who came over and helped us with a bricklaying but We've we've built this entirely from scratch. Saw it, um, saw the progress, yeah. And then that kind of turned into well, actually, all the gear's sat in the warehouse, but the gear's doing nothing. So let's pack the gear up and store it, and let's turn the warehouse into something usable. Yep. And very early on, we we're like, well, obviously, live streaming is the only way. Yep. Um, we can tie it in with the studio. The warehouse can then be a second live room for the studio. But if you're in the warehouse doing your pre-production, you can your front of house guy can be in the studio. We this can is the do first the live thing you said to stuff. Me. We can do, but we've set it up so you can make music videos in there. You can do your photography. Shit. You know, we've just kind of tried to create this media space, really. Yeah. Where, and was there much up here in York for a production space? No, nothing. I didn't think there was. So no. you've kind of you kind of seen it at the right time and, and equipped yourself at the right time. I mean, my old studio, the live room, wasn't really much bigger than this room we're sat in now. Mm-hmm. And we had Don Broco in there before Leeds Festival. Yeah. You know, let everyone crammed in because there was nowhere around here. So it's 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 a great thing. It's forced us to diversify. It's forced us to think about it. And we've ended up sitting on something that actually will be more than re- um, relevant when COVID goes away. You've applied yourself. You've applied your business because it's a new business, like we said. You've applied that. You've also got the branch of the studio and you've just applied yourself massively. And like I said, the first thing you said to me when I walked in was, let me show you around. Got a video suite here. 
here's the live room, here's this. And I was like, Jesus Christ. It's like, so you've thought of every branch of it and it's all this is going to do now is push forward into the future to the point where this place right now is not going to be able to house rock tech events because where's the PA going to go when it comes back? Yeah, well, that's you it. Know? I mean, the interest we're already getting for the production rehearsal side of things because, you know, at that, at that kind of bus and truck level, mm. you know, where you need... You know the the, uh, the set the kind of setup we've got that we've we've spent our lives in these places, so we've kind of come together and said, well, what would we want? And we built what we'd want. But the interest we're getting off that means that yeah, we probably won't be able to move the gear back in. So it may be that when touring comes back online, we actually have to look for another premises to house the gear. But we'll you know we'll you that, get to that bridge when you get to it. Yeah, well, that's the the ideal dream come true situation. But but who knows? But no, it, it it's just the only way I can say it is. I, I, at the very start of this, said, right, I'm not going to let myself get upset. I'm not going to let myself get depressed or because this isn't my fault. And I'm the first person to blame myself for everything, but this isn't my fault. The business didn't fail. The business was doing really well, and it, yep. it did do really well, and it was doing really well. And so everyone's in the same situation. So getting depressed and putting my head down and getting my begging cap out wasn't my thing. It's like, well, I from the very from the very start... COVID is a challenge and I'll beat it. You're going to come out like not better off than when you went in, but you're going to come out with a great mindset and a great, and a great tool to use for the future. And, uh, you know, I think that's what we all should look at doing. When we get that, back to normal, we've got more options than we had before going in, which is um, a great position to be in as long as we can get to. When they point. say reskill, retrain, right? I'm not, I'm not looking to retrain out my business. I'm looking to reskill a new skill within the business. That's the way I. That's the way I see yeah. everything that we should be doing. Like we all have skills, man, in our industry. And trust me, like you can go. This guy's really good at that. This yeah. guy's really good at that. Man, you built a studio. That's, well, re- that's it. We've we, just we, reskilled and retrained. We were, we were laughing about it the other day when that came out. Retrain. Well, I have. I'm now a builder. I'm a joiner. I'm a plumber. I'm an electrician. I can stick roofs up. That's we've, it. You know, we've laid carpet. We've the. You've been, know, like, been, on your, been on your hands and knees putting cars yeah, out. Yeah, absolutely. And I've enjoyed it. It's been great. Yeah. You know, I've and I've gone home feeling like I've had a purpose. And I think all of us involved in this place, it's been it's been a, a real boys club while we've been building it. But actually, do you know what? From a mental health perspective, it's kept us all from the edge because we've got a purpose. And that's the biggest thing for me is sitting at home, waking up in the morning going, what the hell do I do? Yep. I My brain just goes mental and I can't handle it. So to be able to come here and say, right, well, every day we've got a list. Right, well, we're doing the doors today, mm. or we're doing this in the bathroom, or we're putting this roof on, or we're doing this, and being able to just make this big list in my head of, and it's great. And, it, you know, we built the place in four months, mm-hmm. you know, and, sorry, in three months, um, you know, and within four months we were trading. And that four months would have been, I, I, don't, I honestly don't know if I'd have, <laughs> I'd have probably been in a padded cell by now if it wasn't for that. And that's, I just know I can't sit still. It's how my brain works. So. I think a lot of us are the same, Ben, where we've got, we, we can we can sit with ourselves for a little bit, but then at some point we are, even though we're not the artists that we work for in that creative sense, we're creative in a different sense. 100%. And we have to push forward with our own creative abilities the way we can. And you've you've done that tenfold. So when, uh, when, all, this, when all this ends, COVID, is, is is touring going to be your main focus? Hundred percent. Yeah, it's what I'm good at. It's what I've spent my life working towards. It's what I love doing. The rock tech thing taught, came about from my touring, so the two go hand in hand. The studio always kind of came hand in hand. As I say, as I said earlier, it's kind of building this infrastructure that I can go out as Ben Hammond, front of house engineer, sound engineer, and I can offer the clients I work with every service and if, and be able to say, well, actually now we can offer you this. Yeah. You know, Christ, you can come in the studio, you can make your record, you can go next door, you can do your online um, live show for it, your crew can come in, you can rehearse, you can hire the gear off us, you can, re- you know, you can do your production rehearsals, the bus and truck comes up and then we'll go out and do the tour. You know, it's... Yeah. So, well, let's, you know, let's let's end the talk about, about COVID and let's really talk a, a little bit more about what's going on here because it is it's super important, it's super interesting as well. So you talked about that bands can do this mm. and have you already had bands use the facility? Yeah, yeah. In everything yeah. that way? Yeah, it's been great. We did the, we did the first one with Lawson, um, which was great because obviously those guys kind of got back together after um, a few years off and made a new record and then COVID happened. Yeah. So we we essentially did, they they came in here and played all the tracks off the new record and the new singles they put out, which had been really well received. And so, so yeah, we did that as a, as a, as a worldwide live stream. Um, 
Has that been released? Is that, is that yeah, 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 yeah. That that went out um, about a month back, I think. Um, we had Callum Scott in. Oh right. Um, yeah. The other day, he was doing. Um, we did a, a live stream for uh, Mind for Mental Health. Right. Awesome. Um, so we saw recently, um, as well, literally the other day, and we talked a little bit about this before we went live on air. Was uh, not everywhere's doing like a production house rehearsal live stream. Some places are doing proper ven- like real venues, like Barrowlands did one, yeah. and there's been a show announced at the Albert Halls, Royal Albert Hall, which is Nile Nile Horan. Yeah, yeah. So quite in- quite interestingly, um, I said, "What what was you up to this year?" And you said, "Well, actually, I was supposed to be touring with Nile." Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you was on it with an artist called Maisie Peters yeah. as support, right? Yeah, so that's yeah. that's quite interesting. That's tied into to it. You're tied into that as well, yeah, yeah. slightly. You know, mm. I'm all for these live streams, man. One thing what we mentioned is that you can't really replace live shows, nah. and <laughs> the reason we can't replace live shows because there's a there's a there's a feeling with a live show, and Ben, certainly with the shows that you mix, there's definitely a feeling. Mainly, like, when that kick drum hits, my shoes stay in one place and my body hits the back wall. <laughs> Two instances that I've seen you mix. I think there's maybe three. Um, I came down to a sound check for a band that I now work for, um, who you work for for quite a while. And I came I came down to hang out just to see what was going on. And it was the Hill PA. And you cut the Hill PA into Manchester Victoria Warehouse. Now, I think it's in the, it's in the word there, warehouse. Yeah, It's not a great sounding room particularly it's, it's um, a challenge and uh i've been in there mixed in there and i'm not really particularly great shows but like they're fine and then you put this hill pa in and i was like i'm really excited to hear what's going on now i'm i at the time right i had a bit of an accident with my eye so i wasn't around i wasn't allowed to be around high spl levels <laughs> or smoke or lasers and i think you had both smoke everything, lasers yeah. i think you had everything on there so i thought i'd come down to sound check and um you had who was your system tech on that gig lee lee fennell yeah 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 and Lee was like, listen, we've got this down. And you start a virtual sound check. And I've never heard a virtual sound check as loud in my life. I mean, but it wasn't just loud. It was all there. It was punchy. It was everything. And it was in this room. I went, oh, the fucking have you got... But if you meter it, that tour never went above one or two. Fuck off. It never went above that, one or two. I and mean, we had meters at front of ours. Perception, also. isn't it? The, yeah. End of the day, it was. it's a rock show. And I want. I, if I go watching a rock show, I want to feel a rock show. I want to hear, I want I want to experience a rock show. Otherwise, just stay and watch a live stream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. So I, I saw that and I was mad impressed with the, with the Hill PA. I was mad impressed with how everything sounded. And I turned to Lee and I was like, fucking hell. I was like, that was good. He's like, yeah. He's like, I know it's, it's good, isn't it? So I'm looking at I didn't stay for the show because uh, I had to go put my eyes back in. My, my yeah. eyeball fell out, so I had to go put that back in. Um, but you did. You went over to Wembley with, like you mentioned before, with yeah. as much gear as you had. Yeah. And obviously for the people who, who've not mixed at Wembley, it's an old swimming pool, isn't it? There's a swimming pool underneath there. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever you kind of do, you've kind of got to really look at that bottom end and be like, right, okay. But you... You did it with the PA that you own and this Hill PA, and it was it was like the first first foray as such with a new PA, wasn't it? In that in that yeah, in, in yeah. that live it, setting, it was we we we'd beta tested it and we'd proved it as much as we could for a small independent company. You know, we're not L Acoustics, we're not D and B, but we proved it to a point where I can honestly, hand on heart, and again, it's like we're saying about gear. You're not going to use gear if it's crap just because it's there. Yeah. You know. If you're headlining Wembley and it goes wrong, it's going to be a while before you work again. Yeah. You know, word gets around quick. So, you know, you, people, it, I wasn't just using it because I was involved in it. It was it was a calculated decision that we spent a lot of time testing. And we, as a small group of us, we, you know, we got to a point where we genuinely believed, we genuinely believed it could do it. And in our eyes, it wasn't a risk. It was the first, it was, you know, the first time it had done a venue of that size, but we knew it was capable of it. And it was, you know, we hit on, you know, we were we were quite happily at one or two um, peaks, at, you know, at one or six, one or eight, and you know, we had a hundred d, we had a hundred db against the back wall, mm-hmm. and we had room in the tank, and you know, the the coverage was excellent, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a tiny box, the M10, it's like the size of, you know, it's like it's. it's it's probably even smaller than a box of DV, you know what I mean? If somebody had told me that you'd been doing Wembley with a box that size, I'd have pushed them down the stairs. When I walked into Manchester Victoria Warehouse that day, and you were like, look at the size of the boxes, yeah. like, and they were shallow, they're shallow as well. Yeah. And I was like... But it worked because we had three video screens, and the PA just dropped into, you know, yeah. it's tiny. The, the the entire hang per side was less, was, was less than 500 kilos. So we've had a chat about all sorts today, absolutely all sorts. But one thing Weenie Crew want us to do is to tell someone good stories and we've already told some good stories and stuff like that but 
there's one notable thing that we want to do. We want you to nominate a hall, what we're calling a hall of famer. And this is to spotlight someone in the industry who's either been a mentor to you, who's just a bit of a legend mm. or anything like that and tell us a good story from the road as well. Do you have anyone in mind or do you have a story in mind there's, that you can tell our listeners? There's there's both and they're both about one person, um, Dave Nichols shirt. Yep. Um, who very long time front of house engineer for Slipknot, um, Adventure Seven Four for the last few years, and um, I met him on really really early on in my career, the first ever like academy tour. You know, you know when you first start touring, you're like, I want to do like academy, and you'd go into yep. academy twos, and you'd always sneak into the academy one and go, God, even look at the size of the PA. Imagine doing, <laughs> and the first academy tour I did, um, and he was mixing the headline band, and he was this giant, intimidating, scary guy who mixed the band so loud but just so unbelievably well and I was petrified of him and I kind of got the 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 courage up to talk to this guy and he was just like all right and (laughs) and his smile came on his face and his and his soft brummy voice came out and he turns out to just and and it was again going back to that digital thing of it this was on a a d show he was because he was he was an avid guy at the time and and he was just like, oh, no, you need to do this, do this, 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 and this. And just, and then every night after soundcheck, we went to the pub or we went out for dinner and he just talked at me. Mm. And I learned on that tour more about audio than I've ever learned in my entire life and his, how he views things. And, his approach. and I just sat with my jaw on the floor just listening to him. And, you know, I really, really, in the early, early years of my career, idolised him so much and then over years became friends and and then you know what it's like in the industry when you're mixing a lot someone's mixing massive bands and you're mixing tiny bands you can't sit yourself next to them so what i'm saying is you know at that time i really idolized him and then over my career when i started mixing bigger bands then all of a sudden we were kind of next to each other on the bill yeah and and then you can kind of feel like you can sit next to him and then you become it becomes more you know we we're friends right from the start but you always viewed him as this like and then yeah you know, so 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 we, be, we we became really good friends, and the first time I ever, you know, the first arena show I ever mixed was Wembley, supporting Mike M um, with the blackout. Okay, and I text him saying, "Have you got any uh, in in the first ever arena show tomorrow? You got any tips?" And he called me, and we're on the phone for like four hours to like two a.m. And he just he always had time, and he and it wasn't, you know, we talked about gear and we talked about technique, but. 99% of what we talked about was just approach to things and, you know, how any, anything but the technical side. And he was he was just such a, a a constant. It was just a rock that you, and you knew if you ever had any, he had the answers. And, you know, and I, we, I was so lucky, you know, like the, not not long before he passed, we we did that Slipknot tour together and we were in the US for like four months together and we had mm-hmm. we had the best time. We had the best time. I'm a massive aeroplane geek, and so is he. Yeah. So we, you know, we 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 go to air museums and go look at some. We constantly, you know, so it 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 was it was just really really nice. And he, you know, if you if you ever heard him mix Slipknot, you'll understand. And whether you like that style of music or not, it was just as good as it got. Yeah. And it was just an experience and watching him mix Slipknot and hearing what he created and how he approached it was just everything that I ever wanted to do. He was the best that there ever was, still is the best, and I don't think anyone will ever get near him. He was he was just unbelievable and so down to earth, so humble, a family man, loved everybody, every band, he, every act he worked for adored him. And you yeah, know, yeah. I, the, well, the first time I ever met him, and this was before we even did that tour. I was working in a pub in York and he came in with a band called Diamond Head. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he was just, and I remember someone saying in the venue, well, this guy mixes Marilyn Manson. I was like, oh, fuck off. No, he doesn't. Why the fuck would someone mix Marilyn Manson being a hundred capacity pub in York? I mean, Big Mick does it at Nottingham Rock City, doesn't he? And lo and behold, it was. And he made that pub sound insane yeah. and I couldn't believe it and I was too nervous to even talk to him I was just his little you know we had a little Soundcraft LX7 no graphics no outboard gear nothing just push some faders and I remember on that on that tour years ago and I was like you probably won't even remember but we met years ago you know and just and he would just he just wanted to do it and then you know he helped me out with a lot of work he introduced me to a lot of people he put me up for a lot of jobs 
Amazing. And, you know, and I, we were. I've never heard a bad story about him. I've always ever heard his praise and, and, and accolades towards. Yeah. Towards. Everyone, everyone describes him as shirt, yeah. So. Yeah, and there's there's stories that you you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him. Yeah, there's you know he's uh, but he he was like if he's your friend he'll be the best friend of the world. and you know we I remember we were talking about funny stories. I remember we were on that Slipknot tour and we got we we were opening up and we got rained off about six times. The, the, it was an awful summer for storms in the US yeah. and we got the, it, it was I do, re- I do remember the most pictures of your desk covered in tar yeah, pools yeah. of water there's yeah. just there's just me and shirt we just turned the whole of front of house into a tent and we just sat me and him he sat with a fag in his mouth and we're just chatting under this tarp tent there's brilliant I've got amazing pictures of us m- both mixing shows in like a little pillbox with their head poked out <laughs> and we, j- we just had to laugh about it and the amount of times that we set up sound checked and then it come through right you guys are cut, pushing doors back half an hour. We've got lightning within the vicinity, and it's great. Yeah. So then all I did was just sit and watch the Slipknot show, and we did one night, and it was, I think we're in Michigan somewhere, and we got rained off, but Manson, who was on second, Marilyn Manson went on, and then he got rained off, and we lost power, but the audience weren't aware that we'd lost power because the, the amphitheater went to emergency lighting. So there was all these super angry people coming to front of house, right. screaming at us that we can't hear. Why? Why have the band fucking walked off stage? What's going on? We've yeah. got a power cut. No, we haven't. What are you talking about? Because there's floodlights everywhere. Lights are on. <laughs> a bus went by with, with its lights on. Yeah, and yeah, we but. get and we get the radio call saying everybody come back to everyone come back to dressing rooms. And I was the I was you know production managing the band I was working with, and we all got called in the production office. And it was like, right, wait your drivers up and get your bus back here immediately. Right, we're gonna pull the show, but. Because of where we were, there'd been um, everybody in the venue was basically petrified that there was going to be a riot, right? And we'd been told we can't tell, we cannot tell the audience. We just hold them where we are, hold them in there. But everybody, get your bus back, get your band out of here, and then we're going to announce. But we're waiting for the police to turn up, right? Because it had happened in that venue. I think, I think it had happened. Yeah. When we, I could be wrong, but I want to say it was like Metallica or something. There, we had to pull a show, and there was a riot. Yeah, and you know. So we're all like stood on there and and I'm stood with shirt and George, who was mixing Marilyn Manson, uh, and it was his console. So we'd fr- we'd freighted my D Live out there. So it was my console at front of house. George owned a D show and all of his outboard gear, and it was his stuff at front of house. And then obviously shirt uh, and Alex's tech, they've got their system out there. And we were stood at front of house, and I was stood with shirt. And because they'd stopped Manson set halfway through, George was out front of house, and everybody in 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 Slipknot's camp and the the their production manager was was off on one. And he was like, "Every everybody, stay where you are. No one's going to the venue. Stay where you are." And we were stood on stage, and Shirt just tapped me on the shoulder and went, "George is out there on his own." <laughs> I said, "Yeah," and he went, "Fuck this. Come on, we're yeah. going." Yeah. And he grabbed me by the arm and we walked out into the... And it, you, <laughs> you couldn't, you you, couldn't you, have written it because earlier on like in the two, night... Two bouncers walking out, yeah. two sizable people. But earlier on in the night, we we had a laugh because the, the, the security came to front of house. And, you know, I, I, I mean this <laughs> you with... Don't, the, you don't fucking need us. I, I mean this with the greatest respect possible, but one guy was missing an arm... <laughs> and then there was a, like a 70 year old lady and even she joked and just went well were you two here I don't yeah. know why we're here I don't know what we're going to do <laughs> he's only got one arm and I need my bloody chair to sit down my hip's gone and you know and it was just it was comical and we, we all just laughed about it and then lo and behold that was the show where the shit hit the fan yeah. and then me and Shirt stood on stage looking out into the audience as stuff starts getting thrown on stage and everyone's booing and shouting and, and we were under strict instructions anybody goes out to front of house you will be off the tour and shirt really? and shirt yeah and he just looked at me and elbowed me and went come on back george is out there on his own me and you were going and we stormed out to front of house heads down and pushed through everybody and then me and shirt and you know and basically team front of house on that tour we, we just stood oh, right. now we just stood there with our arms folded and just growled at people yeah anybody comes in front of house you think you're touching this gear you fucking think again and we just stayed there all night yeah and the show got announced, it was pulled, and there's all these it's, chairs start going in the air and everything, and all the police, and we just stood, absolutely stood fast, didn't move the entire night until every single person was out of the venue. Listen, I know I know we've got to diversify and multifacet ourselves, but you, you don't need to become security. Yeah. 
But it, that was just him. There was there wasn't a bad bone in his body. Yeah. And that was just no matter what we're being told, our mates out there and he's on his own. And that was more important than anything else. Hey, if anything, we pull together in the music industry, don't we? Hundred so, percent. That's good. That's a really good story. Of that yeah. I uh, I met shirt. That was it. No, I'm actually in a uh, grass pop metal meeting actually, and I was mixing the opening band, another band I used to work for called Lower Than Atlantis. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. was mixing them, and um, grass pop at the time was a pair of XL fours as house consoles. <sighs> Go on then. Yeah. Go on then. Loads of uh, distresses and everything as well. Yeah. I was like, oh, he'd have been at home behind that as well. Christ. And uh, shirt was down. No, shirt was on a um, X. I want to say XL eight. Might have been a Pro eight or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. And. Um, I heard him sound check slept night and I was like, Jesus Christ. It just wow. makes you want to go home, doesn't it? I was like, wow. And it was on an, um, so Grass Pop, notoriously, is an Adamson rig. And Adamson, right, maybe not like the one that everyone chooses, but Jesus I'm a Christ. Big fan. Like, that bottom end will rip your yeah. face off. And I remember yeah. them saying, like, the limit's 104. And I was like, 104 on an Adamson rig. like, Jesus. So I was mixing the band and I got a really great drum sound. All I did was turn the gains up. That's all you need to do on an XL4 and it. Shelf it, yeah. turn it up, you're good. And sure, stayed there through, throughout my set. And um, I mixed and he, he turned to me and he, he, he gestures like this, like pushing his hands in the air. And he's like, turn it up, turn it up. So I'm like, all right, yeah, go on then. And I'm like, I'm at 100 and I'm fucking holding onto the desk me. And I'm like, whoa. And he's like, come on, come on, turn it up. Yeah. So I'm like, I couldn't get to 104 me. And he turned around at the end. He said, I st- he said in that, that sweet little Brummie accent, accent, he kind of said, I stayed because my daughter, I think it was his daughter said, she loves Lower Than Atlantis yeah. and her favourite songs that here we go so he filmed it and he went that sounded wicked that pal nice one yeah. I was like fucking nice one I can't get to 104 he's like yeah I don't think I could either and I was like fucking I bet hey. he did yeah I bet he did actually <laughs> I didn't stay I didn't stay for that one but yeah it's good that's a, a great story though and a, a great way to just show how much we all kind of like admire people in the industry yeah. influence from people in the industry and stand together with people in the industry that's a, I rounded that up yeah, oh, give me that. a job. You're welcome. Perfect. Give me a job. Yeah, so we've had a great chat today, Ben. It's been really nice for you to invite us down here to the Real Recording Studio and Rock Tech. Do check out We Need Crew if you've not already and Absolutely. listen to the other podcasts and, and whatnot. We've got some great guests coming up in the future as well, who you, who you do now. So it's going to be super interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for giving us a chat. And I'm sure I'll see you on the road when we get back out there. Yeah, nice one. Cheers, mate. Take it easy, man. Thanks for listening to the Weenie Crew podcast. I have been your host, Scott Howarth. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We're going to be releasing new content all the time. But until then, please check out weeniecrew.co.uk.